Hello, hello, this is Megan and Julie with the VBAC link, and you are listening to episode number 84. We are so excited to share with you today Tatiana's story. She is a VBAC after two cesareans, which if you haven't known or listened to my story at this point, <laughs> VBAC after two C-sections is close to my heart. And um, we're really excited to hear her story. She's got some unique twists to really each one. And so we're going we're gonna to dive right in in just a second. But we have a review from Julie first. All right. All right. Um, okay. So this review is a little bit long, but I seriously love it so much. <laughs> so I'm going to read all of it. Um, this is from Sarah R. on Apple Podcasts. And she says, as a physician myself, I think it is unusual to find balanced resources for patients that represent the medical facts, but also the patient experience and correct for some of the inaccuracies in medicine. This podcast does an amazing job of striking this balance. I had an emergency C-section with my daughter two years ago. Despite understanding that C-section was medically appropriate and my professional experience, I still found the whole experience to be mildly traumatic and disappointing. This podcast was the main resource I used to help prepare for my second child's birth and my plan to have a VBAC. I am now holding my new baby in my arms with so much pride, love, and self-confidence and trust because I had a smooth and successful VBAC. I am thankful for this podcast, which gave me ideas, confidence, strength, and a sense of community in what is otherwise a very isolating experience. Mm -hmm. I especially appreciate the variety of stories that are shared, including VBAC attempts that result in another C-section so that we can all prepare ourselves for the different outcomes. No matter what happens, we are strong women and have a welcome spot in this community, even when we may feel alone with our thoughts and fears. Thank you, Julian oh Megan. Oh my gosh, I love that. Oh, doesn't that make you so happy? Yes. Oh, we love that. Thank you so much. We love that, especially coming from a medical professional, Sarah R. I just absolutely love your review. And that's, you know, what that's kind of like, she just touched on the, main goals that we want to do. We want to create a community. We want everyone to feel included. We want to have a good balance between um, supporting you and bringing you medically accurate information and especially compensating where the system might fail you. Mm -hmm. And like all of those things, I just like, that's exactly what we want to do. And like reading that review just made my heart explode. Like I'm so, so happy about that. So thank you so much, Sarah R from Apple Podcasts. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, ladies, we're so excited for this beautiful story. So I am just going to get... I, oh, oh, I you just got to tell one little fun thing. Okay. I know I'm kind of long-winded, but I'm not going to be long-winded this time. I have to share, I was just telling Tatiana before we started recording that... 
her story was so inspiring to me. I <laughs> I emailed her two times to schedule <laughs> because we get we get so many submissions and and going through and picking podcasts to record is such a hard thing for me to do. It's probably like the hardest part of my job because we don't get to share everybody's stories um, who submits a story. But today, as I was going through and scheduling for our next round of podcast recordings, I had forgotten to mark Tatiana's that I had contacted her. Mm -hmm. And so I sent out another, like, this is how I made, like, it caught me right away. I think it was like the third one. I just like caught my eye as I was going through my list. And so I hope that you guys are as excited about hearing this story as I am because she has got some incredible experiences. And I think everyone that's listening right now is going to find something to relate to in her story. So now, Megan, you can turn it over. (laughs) All right, hon. Let's turn the time over to you to share your awesome stories. So I definitely think that what you said is right. I feel like I've had a little bit of every kind of birth experience and thing that you could maybe go through. Maybe not all of them, but quite a lot. (laughs) So... To start out with, I have now I have three kids. So with my first birth, I found out I was pregnant five months after my husband and I got married. And I was young. I was 19. So, you know, the normal was you go and, you know, you see an OB. So we did an Internet search and tried to find, you know, the best OB with the best reviews. And I knew I didn't want to go to any of the hospitals around us because they're unfortunately just not great hospitals. We live in Maryland, but my husband worked in Virginia, and so we decided that we were going to look in Virginia, and we found one that had really good ratings and lots of good reviews from people. So we decided to go there. I didn't end up seeing the practice owner. I saw a new OB that they had just um, had joined their practice. So everything was going fine. And then at 28 weeks, I had the gestational diabetes test done, and Unfortunately, I failed it by one point, so that was kind of a bummer because, you know, first-time mom and all that kind of freaks you out. My first appointment after I had been diagnosed, she walks in and says, basically, we have some problems, and I was like, okay, and starts going over all the risks with gestational diabetes, but not just going over them, but basically the first thing that came out of her mouth was, just so you know, gestational diabetes really increases your risk of having stillborn baby if you don't take care of <gasps> oh. it. Whoa. Oh, okay. Okay, well. And I literally started, like, crying because I was like, what? Like, I had researched it and everything, and, like, I knew that there were risks associated with it, but I also knew that I could control it with my diet, you know, hopefully, and yeah. we hadn't even gotten to any of that yet. So she basically tells me at that point that I have to be induced at 39 weeks. Mm. And I was like, I'm crying. And I said, I really would love to give birth naturally. Like, that's that's what I really want. And she says, well, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to try to be a hero. Whoa. <laughs> and so me and my husband just kind of looked at each other and we were like, okay. And we left that appointment feeling really defeated. So, you know, in my mind, I didn't know that you could switch providers. I just thought, you know, well, this is where we are. So, We're just going to have to make the best of it. So we ended up going for weekly ultrasounds after that to just measure the baby. And I was completely diet controlled the whole time, and I never had one number that was out of range. So I was really thankful for that. At my 37-week ultrasound, they told me he was measuring at 8 pounds, 12 ounces. So she said, like, 
basically brought up again the stillbirth thing and said, we have to schedule your induction. So, you know, I just went along with it because in my mind, every doctor is just doing what's best for you and what's best for your baby. And, you know, they know best. And so we scheduled the induction at 39 weeks and two days. We went in and they started Cervidil at 8 p.m. And then two hours after they started the Cervidil, they told me my blood pressure was getting high, so I had to get the epidural. Otherwise, we were going to have problems. So I got an epidural, and, you know, after the epidural, I was completely bedridden. Mm -hmm. So the next morning, she came in at 8 a.m. and broke my water without even telling me what she was doing. I thought she was just doing a check. And then all of a sudden, I feel a gush of water. And she's like, okay, so your water's broken now. That should help move things, and we're going to start Pitocin. Shut oh my up. Gosh. What? Yeah. So I was like, oh, No informed okay. consent there. None. None whatsoever. Mm. And, you know, again, I'm just thinking, oh, well, you know, the doctor knows what she's doing. She knows best. This is probably normal. So two hours later, she came in and said, or sorry, I was dilated to one centimeter at that point. So and she broke hours later, water. She came, oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So she came in at around 10 a.m., and I was dilated to three, and she said that I wasn't progressing quick enough and that my baby's heart rate was decelerating and that we had to do a C-section. And so I was like, okay, because I heard, like, you know, I heard baby's heart rate decelerating, and I'm like, uh, no, and I already had all these fears that she put into my head about being stillborn and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So she made it really seem like an emergency. Well, six hours later, uh, we get taken back for the C-section. Six uh, hours? Oh, my gosh. Six hours. Oh, my he gosh. Was born, yeah, he was born at 6.46 p.m. And so... Some emergency. Started my, yeah, exactly. So that was just like a really, really difficult experience. And I had to do a lot of healing from that because... It was definitely not the way that I envisioned things happening. And, you know, in my mind at that point, it was like, okay, do I have to have C-sections from now on? So then I really started researching VBACs and I started researching all the statistics and all that kind of stuff. And I knew that with my next baby, I wanted to have a VBAC. So when my son was nine months old, I found out I was pregnant again and we were really excited. And because where I live, um, most birth centers won't take you as a patient if you've already had a cesarean and I had such a terrible taste in my mouth from that OB that I was scared to go with another OB Mm -hmm. so I decided that we were going to do a home birth with a midwife and I found an awesome midwife she was fantastic she came to our house for all of our prenatal visits she included my son in them and made him feel really important and it was like it was an amazing pregnancy and super smooth. I didn't have gestational diabetes and we did, you know, we did the testing and I actually did random blood draws all throughout my pregnancy just to make sure everything stayed good. No complications whatsoever. And so then at 38 weeks and five days at 3.30 in the morning, I woke up to my water breaking. (laughs) And so I was so excited because it was something I had never experienced before. My body was doing it on its own. And I was like, yes, here we go. So I text my midwife and let her know I hadn't had any contractions yet. And then about four hours later, my contractions started. They started getting pretty consistent. They were about seven to eight minutes apart. And so we called her and she came. And I ended up, to make 
a really long story shorter, I ended up laboring at home for 44 hours. Wow. And I dilated eight centimeters, but my contractions would get really, really close, and then they would spread out far. And then they'd get really close again, and then they'd spread out again. And we tried everything. We even, my chiropractor, like, called my husband and was telling him things that we could do to try to get him into position and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't have a doula. There was my mistake. <laughs> um, so we didn't really we didn't really know like what things to do or what things to try to help facilitate getting the baby into a better position. So I was exhausted, you know, 44 hours, and I was just like, okay, we I need to do something. So we decided that we were going to transfer to a hospital that was about 45 minutes away. They had a good, you know, VBAC program and. My midwife was pretty sure that they would let me continue to labor and just try a few different things there. So we got there, and I got an epidural. I slept for a little while, and the doctors checked me. And I would I would say that the doctors that were there, they were more, they weren't completely VBAC supportive. They were like, oh, we'll let you try, but <laughs> there's this, this, and this. So after I slept for a little bit and got some rest, they checked my cervix again, and there was no change. I was still at 8 centimeters, and he was still at negative 2 and, like, hadn't moved whatsoever. Mm. So we ultimately decided that because my water had been broken for so long, it was, like, 51 hours at this point. Um, And just, like, basically the state that I was in, we just decided that we needed to proceed with a repeat C-section. And that was really hard because I had, like, thankfully my mom went and took down all my home birth stuff and kind of, she actually even rearranged my room just so it was a completely different atmosphere to come mm, home to. Yeah. Because, like, that, that was been hard. That was hard. Yeah. And she, like, I actually just got the box of stuff from her right before I had this birth because she just put it all away. She didn't want me to see it or have to deal with it. What a and, mom. um, my midwife gave me this really good book that was called Healing from a Home Birth Cesarean. And I worked through that and it took me a while and it actually came with like a little workbook and everything to just process through the emotions of it. Because it is a very specific and very different thing to experience. So I worked through that and it took me a while to heal from that because it was pretty devastating. I had had, you know, my hopes set and I was really set on having this VBAC. But, you know, things don't always turn out the way that we think they will, and we don't know why. But so then fast forward a little bit. In October of last year, I found out I was expecting again, and we were so excited. I made a little T-shirt for my husband with our favorite hockey team on it, and it said our, it said our last name and then number three because it's our third baby. Oh, that is cute. So excited. <laughs> and... The day after I gave that to my husband, I started miscarrying. And that was so hard. And, you know, it was such like a place of brokenness for us. And just like, how do we deal with this? And so, you know, we worked through it together. And it really did bring us a lot closer. And then four weeks later, I was just feeling really off. And, you know, I thought it was still just the emotions of, everything that we had just gone through of losing the baby. And I was like, you know, let me just take a test just to, just so I can get that out of my mind. Because if I take a test and it's negative, I won't be wondering. 
So we actually went out on a date. My mom watched the boys. We went out on a date. And I took a pregnancy test in the Walmart bathroom. Oh. <laughs> I just couldn't wait. <laughs> and as soon as I picked it up, it was positive, like clear as day. Oh and I was like, it was this weird place because it was still, I was still mourning the loss of the baby. But then I was also happy, but then I felt guilty for being happy. So it was just this weird emotional place for a while at the beginning yeah, of my pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. So then the state that we live in, they make it really difficult for midwives, unfortunately. And so no midwife could see me or have me as a patient because I had had two cesareans. And there are zero VBAC supportive providers around me, <laughs> like none whatsoever. And so I found a midwife in Virginia, and my grandparents actually live in Virginia. So we ended up traveling two hours every appointment for my midwife. And that's what, you know, we decided to do because we knew that, like, we had our interview with her and she was just amazing. We knew it was exactly what we needed for this birth. And, again, I had a very uncomplicated pregnancy. Everything was perfect, didn't have any, you know, no gestational diabetes or anything like that. So then we get to July. And I was due in uh, July 18th was my due date. And... Starting at the end of June, I started having prodromal labor, and it would be contractions every single night, and then they would go away in the morning. And we had three false alarms of, like, where I really thought it was it, and it wasn't. They would last for, you know, 12, 14 hours, and it would just be, then they would go away and just Mm. be gone. And that was very mentally taxing and was just, like, I don't feel like I can trust myself anymore, you know. (laughs) So 40 weeks came and went, 41 weeks came and went, and we had a biophysical profile just to check on the baby, make sure everything was okay. Everything looked good. So every day I was just trying to plan things to keep myself busy. Mm -hmm. And so we had, the weekend was coming up, and the Saturday we were like, okay, let's go to some yard sales in the morning with my parents because that's something I really enjoy doing. We went to a farmer's market and then we went over to one of our friend's house and we kept joking, like saying, maybe I'll go into labor while we're with you guys because we always laugh a lot when we're with them. It's like, maybe I'll just laugh this baby out. (laughs) And sure enough, at the end of the night, I started having contractions and I was like, okay, I'm just going to ignore these because it's probably just the same thing. Mm -hmm. But then... It started, like, we were still hanging out over at their house, and then I couldn't talk through them. And I was, like, getting really quiet and just, like, really having to focus through them because they were getting way more intense. And so I looked at my husband, and I was like, I think we need to go. So we left. We got the the two boys with my parents, and we headed up to my grandparents' house. We labored there for about five hours, and then I was having such strong contractions. And with every contraction... I was having this horrible back pain. Like it felt like my the middle of my back was just being like squeezed so tight. Mm. And so I started having some trouble getting through them. And I was like, I told my husband I needed him to call the doula. So I was like, I need some help. I need some support. Mm-hmm. So my contractions are every four to six minutes apart at this point. So our birth team got there and did the, we did the rebozo. She tried some different things to help relieve that back pain because that was really what was making the contractions really difficult for me. 
So I labored all day on Sunday, and it was like my contractions never were farther apart than six minutes. So it was a long day with a whole lot of work. Heck and we yeah, were doing oh my gosh. All the different, like, you know, all the different spinning baby stuff, doing some lunges, doing some abdominal lifts, all that kind of stuff to try to help keep things moving forward. So at 1 a.m., my midwife was like, do you want me to check your cervix so we can maybe, you know, more so to just see if we can figure out where the baby's at and what things we can do to better help the baby get in position. Mm-hmm. So she checked me, and I was 7, almost 8 centimeters. So I was, like, really excited about that. But the baby's head was tilted. And so we knew, like, okay, so we need to do some things to fix this. So I tried to sleep in between contractions for a little while. And any mom who's ever tried to do that knows that it's very (laughs) difficult to get any kind of actual rest. (laughs) But I tried. I did my best. We did, you know, shower with hot water on my back because that relieved some of the pain. And for me, like, my faith is a really big part of who I am. And so my husband was reading me my scriptures that I had written down on cards. And that was so helpful. And my midwife actually took a picture of it because it just felt like such a strengthening time where I was getting that encouragement that I needed to keep going. And it was in my head, my last, with my second baby, I kept saying, like, I can do anything for a minute. That was, like, the thing I kept repeating. And then for some reason, the one, the thing that stuck in my head for every contraction this time was I kept telling myself, ride the wave and then you get a break. Ride the wave and then you get a break, like reminding myself and just picturing it as a wave of like getting up to the top and then things would calm down for a bit Mm -hmm. and I would get a break from it. Mm -hmm. And so we did another cervix check at 6 a.m. after doing all that stuff just to see if anything had changed. And I was at eight, almost nine centimeters. So we had a little bit of change and the baby was in a slightly better position. So then we decided we were going to do some really intense rounds. We did rotation of rebozos and abdominal lifts and lunges on the stairs. And let me tell you, that I think was almost more difficult than actually pushing the baby out. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, that's hard work. Oh my goodness. We did that for an hour and a half of mm. just doing rotation of that, just trying to get this moving. And after that, my midwife was like, okay, well, you know, let's, See what that did, and there was no change. Oh, and so how frustrating! Was, yeah, and I I looked at my husband and I said I can't do this anymore because you know I had just been doing all that hard work and then for nothing no to have moved. Yeah, so I was really discouraged at this point, and I knew it was time for something to change, and so I was like, I really think we need to consider transferring. And in my mind, transferring automatically meant another C-section mm-hmm. because, you know, what? there's not many hospitals that are going to be okay with you coming in as a home birth transfer and can, after two C-sections and then continuing to labor, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my husband and I took some time away from the whole birth team because I just needed to process through everything with him. Of course. And so, you know, we prayed together and just really tried to, get in a good place mentally because I didn't if I was going to have a repeat c-section I didn't want to go into it 
being like it was a bad attitude because I knew I was still going to get to meet my baby. Mm-hmm. And at that time, my contractions like totally spaced out and they were like eight to 10 minutes apart and they hadn't been that since labor had started. Yeah. So after we had talked, my doula comes in and says, hey, one of my associates has a connection with an OB at the hospital you're going to. And we talked to her and she said that if you come in, she's happy to let you continue to labor there. Nice. And I was like, what? Okay. But I was still kind of skeptical. Like I didn't mm-hmm. want to get my hopes up. Yeah. So we got all of our stuff together and we <laughs> drove 30 minutes to a hospital and it was the worst drive ever. It was the bumpiest road in Washington, D.C. I think there ever could be. And Aww. every single bump in the road triggered a contraction. So, like, they started picking up again. And then at that hospital, they don't have anywhere you can drop people off. So we had to park in the parking garage and walk three blocks to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. So people are just staring at me because I'm literally taking, like, three steps and then having a contraction and having to stop. Oh. We get into the hospital, and this guy sees me, like, I think he can tell that I am, like, really in labor. And he brings a wheelchair over and, like, gets us up to the labor and delivery floor, like, as fast as he can. He's, like, telling people to move off the elevator. Oh, bless his heart. (laughs) And it was, like, those little blessings that I was, like, so thankful for in those moments. Yeah. We got all checked in, and the doctor team came in, and it's a teaching hospital, so... We had the attending, the resident, and then some med students. And she started the conversation by saying, so I know you're here wanting to have a VBAC. So let me start by saying what the risks of a repeat C-section are. And she goes over the risks of a repeat C-section and says, and I also have to go over the risks of uh, VBAC, but you need to also know how small uterine rupture risks are even after two C-sections. And I was like, that is so awesome. Like, this is what I need. Yeah. And she was like, I'm sure if you've decided this, you've already looked at this, but they're only. And when she said only, I was like, oh man, she really is like, like, can I just kiss you right now? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was like, is this a dream? (laughs) So she said, there's no reason for you to not continue laboring. And I was like, okay, like this could actually be pretty awesome. So she did a cervix check and found the same thing. He was still at negative two and I was like eight, almost nine centimeters. So she said, here's what my plan is. Let's get you an epidural and eventually we'll do a low dose of Pitocin. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a good plan to me. So I got the epidural and it didn't take on one side. So I'm feeling everything on my left side and nothing on my right side. And I was just like, I wanted to be out of pain. <laughs> like, I can't deal with this anymore. Mm. And it ended up taking them five hours to get the epidural fixed. So five hours? Bummer. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was, it was a guy who, he was a, a resident and didn't want to. <laughs> yep, there you go. So, <laughs> uh, so, you know, we uh, we dealt with it and we, we got it eventually. But then shift change came, and I was really nervous about that because the doctor who was, like, super supportive and super, like, rooting for me, she was leaving, and a new team was coming in. Mm. So they did all of that, and 
the med student with the new team did a cervix check and she said, I think you're complete. And I was like, what? What did you just say? She's like, I have to get the, I have to get the other doctor to come and double check, but I think you're complete. So the resident comes in and checks me and she says, oh, you're, you know, you're at about six centimeters. Oh man. What is this? What? How am I going backwards? I was at nine centimeters. Like, Three hours ago. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. I call part. And I call I foul. At, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I looked at my husband and I was like, like "Are no. you kidding mm-hmm. me? Nope." I I was like, "I'm just gonna ignore that. Like, I'm not even gonna pay attention to that because there's no way that three other people checked me and I was at almost nine centimeters and now I'm six. No way. Yep. So I was really discouraged after that, even though I was trying not to be. So then the epidural, they finally get it working. And as soon as that epidural was working, I was asleep. Like, I don't even remember falling asleep. That's how tired I was. Mm-hmm. And I wake up to the nurses, like, running around panicked in the room. And I'm like, what is going on? So they had started Pitocin 10 minutes before that. And my baby's heart rate was decelerating and having really long decels. And so they were like, okay, we have to move you onto your side. And, you know, we need to do this. Well, none of that was working. So they turned off the Pitocin. Because obviously my baby just couldn't handle it. But as soon as they turned off the Pitocin, my body took over and I started contracting every minute and a half when my contractions had been four minutes apart. And so, like, things really started intensifying and I started, like, feeling my contractions even with the epidural working. So the doctor came in and did a cervix check and she was, before she did the check, she said, if there's no change, we're going to need to discuss, you know, other options of moving forward mm. and at this point I was okay with it because I was like you know at this point whatever needs to happen it'll be okay yeah so she checked me and she had this smile on her face and I was like what is going on and she said you're complete you need to get ready to start pushing and I was like, what? <laughs> those magic words that you know when you're planning for a feedback like you almost can't imagine them actually being said to you and then when yeah. they're said to you it's just like overwhelming and I had I probably had like the goofiest smile on my face because I was so excited (laughs) and I just look at my husband and I said did you hear what she just said to me and so she was like now he's still at negative two so we've got a lot of work to do and I'm going to give him a little bit of time to rest to let his you know his uh heart recover because he had just been having those long Mm d-cells so we waited about 45 minutes And then I started pushing every few contractions just to start moving him down. Then all of a sudden, I started feeling tons of pressure. And, like, my contractions got so strong that, like, it felt like I didn't even have an epidural at all. Wow. And my body, like, took over and it was, like, pushing on its own. Like, I wasn't actually doing it, but, like, there was no way to stop it. Yeah. And so the doctors, like frantically trying to get all of her gear on and the nurses are literally yelling at me telling me to stop pushing (laughs) and I'm like I can't I'm not doing this (laughs) and like at that point there's no going back and he had he had started crowning and so they're like being frantic the nurse has one hand down there like she's ready just in case and the doctor is has like one glove on and it was three pushes and he came right out and it was so amazing 
like that feeling of reaching down and just being able to pull my baby directly to me. Yeah. I uh I just can't even like put it into words. That feeling was just incredible because you know every other time I had had to wait until they brought the baby around the curtain. And even then, I didn't get to hold them right away. I was just seeing them, and then they were taken away from me. Mm-hmm. And so I got to be the first person to, like, pull my baby up and to hold him right there. And the whole time, we had it was a surprise gender, so we didn't know what the gender was. Aww. And so my husband announced that we had another boy, so we have three boys. And it was just so incredible. And... They had put a big mirror up, so I got to watch the entire thing. And, like, the <laughs> when people talk about an oxytocin high, like, it was totally that. And I didn't even realize, but I had torn so bad. It was a second-degree tear, and it wasn't just in one spot, but it had literally gone all the way around, and it was like spider web, they said. Oh, wow. And so... I ended up losing two liters of blood and they were, you know, I didn't even know any of this was happening because I was just paying attention to the fact that I had my baby with me and it ended up taking them an hour to stitch me up. That's how Mm. bad it was. Oh man, mama. So it was pretty crazy, but the really cool thing about it was they, they waited for two hours to even do any newborn checks whatsoever So I got to hold him for two straight hours before he was even taken away from me. And the whole team, only one person on that team had ever witnessed a VBAC. Wow. And 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 you were their first. VBAC after two C-sections. Yeah, I was going to say, plus all the other things that you had going on. Exactly. (laughs) And there was a student there that it was his first birth he had ever attended. And, like, I thought that was so cool that my VBAC – and after two C-sections, got to be the first one that yeah. he ever witnessed. And I was like, you know what? Like, that is so exciting for me because it shows them it's not something you have to be scared of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a birth. It's a normal birth. Yeah. And it can be just as beautiful as you know, any other one. Mm-hmm. And so that was, like, super exciting. And everyone was so excited, like the whole team of doctors and nurses. And they even came like into our room after we got settled in our postpartum room. And when they came back on shift, they would come and check in on us. And then the whole original team who had been there when we got admitted, when they came back in for their shift and saw that we had had a successful VBAC, they came into our room and were like super excited. And they kept congratulating us and saying how happy they were for us. And that was so amazing. Like, just feeling the true support and, like, they were all really rooting for us. Mm -hmm. And that was such a cool thing because it really redeemed, like, my view of OBs, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're not all like the one that I had the first time. And so it was just, it turned what I was honestly prepared for it to be an ending just like my second birth where it was just, a you know, another failed home birth try. But it really turned it into such an amazing experience that I still, like, it still feels so surreal that I actually delivered a baby vaginally. <laughs> like, I, I tell my husband, like, probably every few days, like, I can't believe that actually happened. Yeah. Like, that was actually us. <laughs> that is and so neat. Just so amazing. 
And one crazy thing that happened after my birth, and I'll make this part quick, but it was nine, about nine days postpartum. I started having a leg pain that really felt like a Charlie horse. Mm-hmm. And it didn't go away for like two days, though. And so I text my midwife, and I was like, you know, do you think I should go get this checked out because it hasn't gone away? And she was like, yeah, that, I would recommend that. So I went to the emergency room, and, you know, I was terrified of going to the emergency room because I had to bring my baby because he's nursing and, you know, uh, all the germs there. Just I was totally freaked out. But we went, and I ended up finding that I had a bilateral pulmonary embolism. So I had blood wow. clots in each of my lungs. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, crazy. Yeah. It was so scary. And I was just so thankful that we caught it when we did because I had no clue that that was even a potential side effect from delivering a baby. Well, normally you associate that with cesarean. Like that's you're at higher risk typically. Yeah. My two cesareans, nothing. And then my (laughs) feedback. (laughs) But um, when I had, when I had my appointment with the hematologist, he told me that because of my significant blood loss and then, you know, all of the hormone changes after you have a baby, like that's what increased my risk. Um, mm. But I just thought that was pretty crazy. And now it makes me like share it a little bit more because I'm there's probably not a whole lot of women who do know that that's a risk like I didn't. But overall, it was just such a redeeming experience. And I was just so thankful for every aspect of it and just it deepens parts of your life that you don't even expect. Like my husband and I's relationship got so much deeper. It strengthened my faith so much and just honestly like had a huge effect on me as a person. Mm-hmm. And it, I just, I'm so thankful that even after having one, you know, failed attempt at it, that we tried again and we had, you know, we had our V back and, now I get to look forward to that and share that story with so many other people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you were telling me about how you know you were the first to pull him up and pull him on your chest, I just remember that moment. It was just so euphoric. Mm-hmm. Yes, just absolute yes. euphoric. That's like the word that just came to my mind when you said that. It's like, yeah. Definitely. That euphoric moment. So, Definitely. so special and so awesome that you had that support. You know, you're not the only one that thinks if you transfer from a home birth, it's just an automatic cesarean. I've had a mom, uh, VBAC after two cesarean mom. She's actually on our podcast. It's Kimberly's episode. And her water was broken for five days. And yeah, and she was contracting. And I mean, it was just kind of crazy. And ultimately decided to go to the hospital. And when I was talking to her about it, she was like, no, they're just going to do a C-section. And I And I knew this one particular hospital probably would not take that action very first because there really wasn't anything wrong. And sure enough, her midwife called and explained the situation. They said, come right in. They were super, really kind and welcoming. And she totally did it. She rocked it. We backed after two C-sections and she had the support um, of that team. And it just, it goes a long way when you can have that support and it, it makes the experience a lot better. And like you said, it it can change perspectives in people's minds about all sorts of providers, midwives and OBs. So it's important. We hope that 
more OBs out there will continue to educate themselves and and really think about the woman and the family walking through the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, they're just not someone just, oh, they're just coming to have this baby, like, and coming have a C-section, home. coming from Being home. hippies. <laughs> you know, like, these people are educated people. And like I said, usually, you know, women who are delivering at home, they do so much education and research, and they really do a lot to get this team um, in place. And so I hope that if any OBs or providers out there are listening, that you feel encouraged to to really welcome these moms when they transfer from home with open minds and hearts and love, because that's exactly what they need. And especially walking into a different environment, it can be scary and daunting, and it can cause the body to kind of clam up and even stall out. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I hope I hope that someone's listening and. And we'll spread the word. Yes. Spread (laughs) the word. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for sharing your story. We're excited and we do know that you're going to inspire and help women all over, especially those that do want to be back after multiple C-sections. It's hard. It's hard to have that time where it didn't go as planned and to want to have to do it or to want to do it again and there's a lot. There's a lot of fear and and question around it all. So so glad that you had the good team and that you shared your story with us today. We do have a VBAC blog uh, at the VBAClink.com/blog. I'm sure if you've been with us for a while, you're pretty familiar with it. Check it out because it's all about multiple C-sections, um, VBAC after two C-sections, and things that you should know about VBAC after multiple C-sections and yep. the studies and the risks and good plans to create and good questions to ask your provider. So we hope that you can check that out and it will continue to give you better education and um, help you feel empowered on your way. Yeah. And after that, after you read that blog or before you read it, head on over to our Instagram or our Facebook pages. And we have an image just for today's episode all ready for you with a beautiful picture of Tatiana and her baby. Mm-hmm. And we want to know what have you heard about um, VBAC after two or more cesareans? Because, you know, as crazy as VBAC can, response can get, VBAC after more than one cesarean can drive people crazy. So we want to know what are your experiences with that? Have you had one? What have you heard about it? Um, were you supported? Were you not supported? Let's chat about it because we love answering your questions and we love connecting you wonderful women of strength to each other would you like to be a guest on the podcast head over to the vbacklink.com share and submit your story for more information on all things vbac including online and in-person vbac classes the vbac blog and julie and megan's bios head over to the vbacklink.com congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the vbac link